When it comes to anything like energy or infrastructure in general, people tend to forget that all energy, all infrastructure in some way, shape or form started with some form of regulatory subsidy dynamic or, you know, overall social investment in that energy and infrastructure. I mean, if you go even back in the history of, of the United States and you say, hey, how did we get the oil and gas pipelines and the energy grid that we see as it is today? I mean, it largely was from government. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis, joined, as always, by President and Founder, Mr. Mike Neymar. Mike, how are you uh, as we get ready to round up and put a bow on 2020? Well, I'm sure I'm like everybody else in the country and everybody listening to our podcast. We're, I'm ready to get out of 2020 and see what 2021 can bring. So as we wrap this year up, I look forward to uh, what next year is going to bring. No, and I'll tell you what, uh, we expect a lot, uh, a big 2021 as well. And 20, 2020 actually has not been that bad for the renewable space. Uh, certainly hasn't been bad for us over here at eRenewable. And Mike, for folks that are new to the podcast and or uh, are still finding out about eRenewable, why don't you tell the folks at home what eRenewable is all about? Yeah, Fred, at eRenewable, we help clients with their PPA and VPPA projects by using our online live auction to expedite pricing. Additionally, we help clients with the renewable energy credits, microgrids, renewable natural gas, energy master plans, and smart street light poles. If you need any help with your renewable projects, please call us at 1-866-ERENEW-1. That again is 1-866-ERENEW-1 where we can help you with all your renewable projects. There you have it, Mike. I appreciate that. And like I said, folks, definitely check that out. And then, of course, also you can go to the website as well, erenew.net. That's erenew.net. All right, let's carry on with the uh, episode number 14. Chaim Lubin uh, is going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the renewable sector uh, in 2020 from a mergers and acquisition standpoint. And just a gentleman who's been in this sector for almost 13 years now over at Lincoln International, Mr. Chaim Lubin, Managing Director for the Chicago office for Lincoln International. And uh, Mr. Lubin, again, you've been doing this for 13 years now. And um, when you got into this, where the renewable sector was at, and again, you guys and Lincoln International, as we were talking about earlier, a little bit of a you know a newcomer to the space back then. Obviously, you guys are well versed in what you're doing now, one of the global leaders now in 2020. But um, but you know, before we get into 2020, the impact that COVID's had, and, and really the resiliency of the renewable sector, because let's call it what it is. Uh, while energy's been down for obvious reasons, renewables have had a huge part in you know keeping the re- keeping the energy side afloat in in the mergers and acquisition side of things, but. A little bit about, you know, where things were at in 2008 when you started to where they're at right now in 20 going into 2021. Sure. So, you know, back in 2008, especially as it pertains to the the North American renewable energies market, uh, very, you know, you take something like solar where we have a, a, a very strong expertise in and even though the technology arguably is a very mature technology, it's been around for 30, 40 years uh, in terms of being able to you know, create electricity from solar panels. But the, as a marketplace and as an understanding of a good investment or you know, strategic companies that are coming up in the space, even in, back in 2008, still a very young 
industry as a whole. And we've seen a lot of developments from that time period of being a very young industry to now a much more mature industry across the space. You're now seeing renewables, you know, both wind and solar and, and other renewables being a large part or a lar much larger part of the overall energy portfolio. Um, that's not just here in the U.S. You certainly have a ton of maturity overseas uh, in Europe um, as well as Asia. And now it is much more viewed as, uh, no pun intended, but a sustainable portion of the overall uh, energy platform rather than just uh, a, a new thing that may or may not uh, stick around for the long term. What is it about Europe and why were they able to get such a head start on us as to, um, and of course, you know, I think it's in 2018, there's only a $2 trillion difference in investment, but why is it that we saw Europe kind of get a head start on, you know, their, their sustainable infrastructure and, and kind of just their focus on it as opposed to where we are now? Although the United States is definitely making leaps and bounds into, uh, you know, getting neck and neck with Europe as far as sustainable investments. Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to anything like energy or infrastructure in general, people tend to forget that um, all energy, all infrastructure in some way, shape or form started with some form of regulatory subsidy dynamic um, or you know, overall social investment in that energy and infrastructure. I mean, if you go even back in the history of, of the United States and you say, hey, how did we get the oil and gas pipelines and the energy grid that we see as it is today? I mean, it largely was from government investment, right? And in when it came to renewables, there certainly was a bifurcation in the marketplace, different countries looking at it from a different standpoint, some that were much more aggressive in the initial um, buy-in or social investment in that or regulatory investment into the renewable energy space. And I think in Europe, you certainly saw more aggressive approaches in that regard and why they were able to ramp up their renewables infrastructure faster than what the U.S. did. That has changed and it's a bit, you know, it's very state by state in, in the U.S. as, as it you know, pertains to any type of renewables. But I think what people forgot was is that it really sometimes takes that um, initial investment, you know, from a social standpoint, from a regulatory standpoint, to jumpstart the energy, you know, you know, the, the industry in a way, and to get it to a place where um, it can sustain on its own. And I think we, you know, that has happened in other regions across the world, and that is happening now, you know, here in the United States and, and, and across North America as well. When you look at 2020, and again, you're in the mergers and acquisition side of things over in uh, over at Lincoln International. We get we get it. COVID nineteen has had a just uh, monumental impact in so many different ways on business, social life, and and uh, just from an economic standpoint. Um, from a mergers and acquisition standpoint, obviously, quarter two was was decimated uh, in an M and A space. You've seen an uptick, though, in, in quarter three, and I'm guessing probably in quarter four a little bit as well. Um, are you surprised at the resiliency of the renewable sector and how it's pretty much been the main driver uh, in the energy M&A space in 2020? So it's interesting. We actually, as a firm, I would say as, a, as an overall, there definitely was a slowdown you know, in every space, right, you know, in, in the second quarter. As a firm, though, I will say, you know, we actually saw more activity than we were anticipating, even through Q2 and Q3. Yeah, the, we, there are certain sectors that were, you know, arguably even benefited by COVID. I mean, it's certainly across the technology space, you know, if you think about technology more broadly, 
we didn't really see a slowdown at all um, in terms of deal activity and, and deals getting completed, et cetera. Specifically within energy and especially in renewables, it is a really interesting dynamic um, because we, you know, the, in all expectations, even take, you know, the residential solar market, which we, we have an incredible knowledge of. Um, we've done a number of transactions in the residential solar space. Going into COVID and certainly the stay-at-home environment, our view is, wow, I mean, this is going to shut down, right? I mean, that was the initial view is that, they, you know, this is going to be really bad. It was the opposite, much like, you know, the you, you take things like RVs or, you know, other areas of, of home service, you're doing things to your yard. It, it exploded during COVID. I mean, what, what happened was everybody was sitting at home and saying, hey, I can take control of my energy, right? I, I can now be a part of not only going green or, you know, all of these different environmental impacts, but I can actually take way more control of my overall home environment, my electricity environment in and around me. And I want to look at that. And more people started to understand that going solar wasn't so much purely a matter of I'm going to save every day on my electric bill. Now, in some cases, absolutely, right? In certain states, it definitely creates a, a, a continual and ongoing savings. But it was more from the standpoint that homeowners, commercial outfits alike were realizing this actually just makes me more efficient and more in control mm -hmm. of everything that I'm doing with electricity. And that really uh, came to fruition. And that idea came out a lot more during COVID. So instead of what I think in all expectations we would have thought was a slowdown in many, many instances, and especially you know, in that space, we actually saw even more activity than was, ex than was forecast uh, you know, across the space. So you know, companies doing very well throughout COVID. So what you're saying is then is and, and again we get it if folks want to go green and that's a big part of what we're doing here at renewable but from from what your data suggests and from what y'all's research said was people wanted just more control over what they could do energy wise as much as about again saving money and being green for the planet but it was much about just taking control over their own actual energy process as opposed to you know having to pay their light bill center point whoever okay but having the ability to do it and obviously too having the subsidies, having the, you know, the lower prices, I'm sure that didn't hurt as well. No, for sure. And it also, it's become, uh, you know, a little bit part of a, a, another feature of the, the home, another thing to have, yeah. <laughs> to, to yeah. be honest. I mean, it, 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 it is, uh, you know, there is the Jones effect of just seeing, you know, more uh, solar out there and you know, like my neighbor's got it. So now I need to have it type of thing, but it has become part of, the home now it's become yeah. something that is just more logical to do and that's a real inflection point in the marketplace that's a real difference than what we would have seen even 12 to 18 months ago in this space where it was very very driven by does you know this make sense purely on a day-to-day -day, you know monetary basis what's it going to cost versus what's it going to save and now it's more about can i do it and it and even if it costs me, you know, what we're, we're certainly seeing this in the marketplace is even homeowners that are realizing right now it may even cost them $10, $20, $30 more a month, you know, to, in their electricity are more than happy to go solar because, again, they take control, they add it to their home, 
And the viewpoint on the future is, is that if it, it will cause savings and, you know, in the long-term future, just given the t- where everything's going. Well, I've got a couple of questions. Are there still any government subsidies for homeowners when they want to put up a solar panel? Do you know of any still existing? There, there are. So there, the, the federal investment tax credit still exists. Um, it will drop from 26%, uh, say, you know, a, a tax credit this year to a 22% tax credit next year um, at the residential level. There's differences um, uh, in terms of what that, that eventually, as of right now, you know, and, and we'll see what happens with the current administration, but as of right now, that will go to zero. That will eventually, you know, drop off by 2023 to to, to no tax credit, if unless something changes. Um, but that still exists across the board. And then every state is different. So depending on what state you're in, different states have different additional incentives that they do put in place. Um, but at the end of the day, Mike, it really comes down to electricity price more than any type of subsidy. And, uh, you know, there's debates on whether, you know, we're really at grid parity at, call it 10 cents a kilowatt hour, or 15 cents a kilowatt hour, or somewhere in between. But somewhere in that range, there really is a fundamental parity between the solar electricity and what the user is paying. And in some states, average electricity, the electricity bill is already above that. And so there, you're already a situation where it is. I'm saving day to day to day, regardless of what that subsidy is, even if it wasn't there. Yeah. Okay. Though that's great information. So do you have the information I've always wondered about is my home, let's say my home has solar. My neighbor home does not have solar. We both go on the market to sell at the same time. Is there any studies that show whether that home value, the resale value is better for the guy that has the solar panel? And is he going to make that money up really when he resells or is it neutral? So I, I don't have it myself. Um, I've seen articles, studies out there that, that do, you know, say that on an ongoing basis, it creates 25 to $30,000 of additional value, which is almost the cost of the system, right? And in right. a lot of cases, it is the cost of the system. So just right. depending. Um, I do know that, um, as a reference point, um, I have seen home appraisals where they will put additive value on the appraisal itself for a solar system. Um, I'm not aware of any you know, particular direct study that, that, that proves that out, but I think in general, uh, it is viewed as a positive and an, and an additional piece of value for, for home sales. Yeah, I would assume that it would add that value or at least make your house more attractive than the neighbor that doesn't have it. And I guess you have to think if it's costing you $20 a month, like you said, you know, a few minutes ago, you're going to get that back at the end when it, when you get rid of it because you've sold it faster. You might have got a premium for it, so on and so forth. So that's very, very good information. So that's me, great. You talked about you guys are uh, you guys have a lot of information on, on so, re, you know, residential solar and, and just the market as a whole. Uh, a, how surprised were you uh, by the deal when Sunrun bought up Vivint for $3.2 billion? Is that a good deal for the market? Is that a good deal for the industry? And what, if any, impact did it have on, on y'all's deal with uh, SunPro? Uh, so I do think it's a great deal for the market, A, from a standpoint of just you know people understanding that these even that these things are happening, they exist. I, I also think 
strategically from their standpoint, really valuable in terms of combining um, some best practices on approach to the homeowner, direct sales aspect, as well as the financing aspect of, of, of residential solar. So, you know, really a, a, a strong play, uh, you know, it, it, in my mind. Um, did you guys and, see that and, coming or kind of, like I said, I know you guys keep your ears to the grind, uh, ear, you know, ear to the grindstone. How did, how did that whole thing come about just from, from what y'all know about the, uh, I mean, I think right? it was a logical, I think it was a logical strategic move. Okay. So I, I, I do think, you know, from a strategic standpoint, very logical, uh, Okay, and then as far and then like I said, and then you guys dealt with SunPro. Um, did that have an? Was that was that impacted by uh, the SunRun deal, or was that something that they were kind of already in the market for? Or? No, the they unrelated. Okay, so you know, I mean, in the same space, right? But, but Okay. All right. All right. So, and just from a, so let, and like you said, you talk about best practices and what have you. And so for an industry, like you said, it still is relatively, I mean, again, 30, 40 years in the grand scheme of things is, I mean, it's still, there's still a lot of, lot to learn. And, and, and we, you know, we're, we're going kind of into overdrive now with, like you said, especially since COVID, I mean, you know, more and more folks are, uh, uh, you know, adding residential solar to their homes. Um, when, when, when Sunrun, uh, uh, Vivint and make these deals overall, like I said, what does that mean for the industry as a whole when the two biggest companies get together like that so i mean honestly the the, the there is so much white space mm-hmm. in the solar especially in residential and commercial solar mm-hmm. here in north america it is an enormous market the okay. level of penetrate the level of penetration that we have in you know as a nation but in any given state is so small really relative, relative to the overall energy even take california um, I don't recall offhand the exact numbers, but the penetration, even in called the most mature state in the country for solar, is a fraction of what it can be and okay. arguably what it should be. Right. And look, I'm not suggesting that solar becomes 100% of the energy portfolio. Right. I, I, don't, I think a diversified energy portfolio makes much more sense than any one given, you know, a, technology or any one given, uh, you know, a resource. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is certainly smaller than what I think is ideal um, and optimal for the overall portfolio. Yeah. And so there's a lot of room to grow. And there is a lot of activity and call it maybe a lot of inefficiency okay. in the market because we're still in the early stages of what that growth looks like. And so I think there's more opportunity, back to your, your point, I think there's more opportunity then for more of these consolidations okay. and more um, investment of building up platforms of scale because there's just so much opportunity out there and there's an, there is an efficiency that is gained within, you know whether it's a consolidation or an investment to capture areas that one entity by themselves may not be as good at, but combined, they are much better. Gotcha, gotcha, and I know that makes all the sense in the world. And and you mentioned something too about um, you know as far as uh, you as much as we would love for it to be, you know, in a perfect world, yes, everything's going to be carbon free. Everything's going to be you know we'll have renewable clean energy for the rest of our lives, and and our kids and grandkids will will, will you know have have a great no pollution. But what do you see right now as far as the integration between fossil fuels and renewables and and you know, I mean, how much more plausible is it that if if we're going to have this carbon neutrality moving forward, that there's going to have to be some integration between the two? Is there not? 
Yeah, I, I, th I definitely think they have to work together in order to have an optimal solution. Yeah. Because, I mean, look, take solar, for example. We don't have perfect battery technology yet. We've got some good battery technology right. out there, um, but we don't have perfect battery technology. And the sun doesn't shine at night. Mm -hmm. So the, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, solar has very good applicability for generating and using electricity in certain times way better than other, uh, than other resources. Right. But you have to solve for that. And until you have the perfect ability to store the energy and then use it or, or you know, do something else, you have to have other resources available. Uh, and so I think it really the smart thing is to have a, uh, a, a system that works together in order to be most advantageous to everybody, both from a carbon neutrality standpoint, mm -hmm. but also an efficiency standpoint. Right. When is it better to use one versus the other? And as the technologies, as the grid, as the overall ecosystem gets smarter, and starts to work better together, I think we can we can achieve that. BlackRock is a company that you guys have done uh, done business with in the past, and most recently uh, with some solar uh, acquisitions that you've done. Uh, they came out with a 2020 sustainability report, basically saying that, listen, out of 427 investors, or excuse me, 425 investors in 27 countries said that they are going to double their sustainable investments over the next five years. Uh, you being in the space that you're in, what, what bells go off in your head when you hear uh, that sort of report, when you read these kind of reports, and how does Lincoln International prepare for such a... Uh, you know, for, for, for such a uh, plan? Yeah. So, I mean, look, as an advisor in the M&A market, we're certainly ready and capable to help anyone navigate, you know, what that space looks like and, and whether, you know, it's, you know, helping a uh, private owner of a business in the renewable energy space, understanding what, you know, capturing, you know, or finding the right strategic or, you know, private uh, investor partner looks like. Um, and how to best, uh, you know, maximize that outcome from, from the from the right, uh, you know, connectivity standpoint. You know that we we absolutely are ready and able to help out, you know, with that overall increased interest. I think it's great. Mm -hmm. I think it's great that um, there is such a significant push. Um, I'm hoping that it will help to create more efficiencies in how these transactions are completed. I think there's still areas that comparing a renewable energy transaction to, you know, call it maybe a, a you know, a, a run of the, I won't say run of the mill, but a, a more traditional area of, uh, or other traditional industry where it's better understood. There are certain aspects of the transaction that are just much more efficient um, in spaces where there've been a lot more deals. And so right. the, the hope is, is that with additional investment, with more transactions that will be occurring, those efficiencies will just be good for everyone. And that seems to be a common refrain from the folks that Mike and I have talked to that are on the deal-making side, like yourself, when it comes to these renewable energy deals, that yes, everybody wants to get these done, but as you just alluded to, they move at glacial speed uh, in, in, in some cases, right? 
what can be done in this industry and what are you seeing? And of course, I'm sure from when you started back in 2008 to where we're at in 2021, I'd like to think that things have picked up a little bit. But in some cases, like our guy Ben Parby, we talked about earlier, said that, no, they really haven't picked up in speed that much and that the transactional process still does take a lot longer than, as you alluded to. What are some steps that could be taken and, and some things that you're seeing that could possibly potentially be done uh, uh, to speed these things up? And is it just a matter of, again, just more of them being done in the marketplace that's going to eventually pick these things up? I think it's certainly the last thing that you did. More that happens in the marketplace, it will create a level of efficiency that will help, uh, you know, in in the completion of these types of transactions. I think the fundamental aspect, when you boil it down, is regardless of all the positive things that we just talked about, there is still an overarching view in the renewable energy space of what I'll refer to, and you'll hear in the market of what's called stroke of the pen risk. Okay, so with with an investor or or uh, a, a credit provider uh, you know or any type of capital provider there are a lot there's a view of the renewable energy market that some politician you, you know or, or the president or you know whoever that might be can make a unilateral you know a decision change policy and it will kill the space right or create a real significant detriment on the space mm-hmm. and with that overhang, it really stops, and it, you know, certain um, investor groups and you know, credit providers of looking at the space at all. It's not a matter of you know how much investment or uh, you know what's the, the, the quantity investment I'm going to make. It's just I'm going to stay away from it completely because I have this this view. And I think one key level of education that we have to to do across the board is getting folks to understand what the again, no pun intended, but what the sustainability of this industry looks like, whether or not there are these underlying incentives or, you know, it, it, or uh, whether or not there are any other underlying regulatory pushes, you know, that, that make the industry and showing why does the industry exist on its own or what does it look like as an industry on its own without any of these other um, aspects around it. Not getting too political, but I got to believe that with now that with uh, President-elect Biden, who's made his intentions clear on what he wants to do with sustainability and climate change, I got to believe that from what you've heard that now that he's in office, which, by the way, we've had folks tell us, too, that, you know, again, with with President Trump, renewable companies still, you know, saw huge progress uh, in the last few years, even with all that. But again, with, with President-elect Biden, he's made it pretty clear that he wants us to, he's, he's got a sustainable goal in mind, right? And so has that kind of eased up and do you see things or is it still, like I said, is that overhang like you alluded to, the stroke of the pen still there uh, or do people still have our still little, little, little gun shy? Yeah, no, I mean, look, I, I think, I, I, I think the overarching view is that the uh, new administration will be very positive on the space. Yeah. I think that's the, the general consensus. It would be great if um, you know something were implemented that was very permanent. So I mean, look, the solar gotcha. industry got the equivalent of the uh, depletion allowance for the uh, oil and gas industry. It would be a game changer, right? If you had a permanent, uh, you know, aspect of you know recognizing that we're, you know, I'll use an exaggerated example, but we're technically using energy from the sun. So you know, why aren't we getting a tax? You know, why, why aren't we? able to deduct the fact that the sun has less energy today than it did yesterday. I mean, it, it's silly in a way, but right. that's a depletion allowance for solar. So yeah, if we had something like that for the industry, um, it, it would be game changing because then it would be permanent. 
And you wouldn't have the question of will it or will it not go away, right? It, you know, the same way and everyone gets this benefit, but depreciation, right, is across the board. Why do we have a depreciation from a tax perspective to allow for the fact that we're using something and it's becoming, you know, used as it goes along? So we're getting to reflect that even though we paid full value up front. So those types of aspects of just overall business dynamic, mm -hmm. if we had something permanent for the solar industry, so therefore it wasn't, is it going to go away? What's going to happen to it next year? All of these things, th that would alleviate the question because it, then we wouldn't be concerned about what's coming next. What's the next step for solar? So I think there are a lot of avenues that we're going to see continued growth in solar. I mean, one is just organically the expansion of the industry across the country okay. is happening. Uh, and I'll, I'll use my my home state now of Illinois uh, as a perfect example. This is not a state with incredibly high electricity prices um, right. on a on a comparable basis. Not incredibly low either, but kind of middle of the road. Um, not an incredibly aggressive state in terms of incentives, uh, but there's a lot of solar growth here now. And that goes back to some of those other dynamics of it's just becoming part of the equation. And there are just more people that are looking at it and wanting to, to go solar. And that's happened. That's not just here. That's in states across the country. And so I do. there is just a lot more room for growth. There's a ton of houses. Um, there's a ton of commercial outfits where it makes sense that can recognize that you know if, if they're able to have a more of a time of use perspective and the offset that that will have you know, to a grocery store that's using a lot of electricity during the day. Mm -hmm. Those are all dynamics that exist and you know really should create a lot of growth for the industry overall. As we think about new avenues, the developments in storage are great. The the the, the new companies that are jumping in in and alongside Tesla on the storage front. Everyone from you know folks that are already in the space, like an Enphase, um, or even you know you know I think you know Generac getting into the storage business makes a ton of sense. Uh, and you know now having some of these names where they're gonna they're already in and around the home, or they're even already in and around the solar system, but developing new and improved technologies for storage that can really change, uh, you know, the overall perspective and what that, you know, platform looks like. So that's an avenue uh, also that is rapidly developing. Mm -hmm. and the technologies are improving every day and I think should be a really benefit for, for everyone in the industry. But, but to your, you know, when, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, real quick here. You know, when you're referring to what's going on in Illinois and you're watching the solar, I know you're actually, home state is Tennessee, where it's a regulated state versus the deregulated state that you live in now. Are you up to date with what's going on in Tennessee to uh, know the differences between the action in both states, regulated versus deregulated? On the on the regulation side, I'm not up to speed uh, perfectly on, on Tennessee. I do know that they, you know, that there is good growth for solar in Tennessee, and and I do, yeah. you know, and, and I am seeing that more from a market standpoint, but. Um, I wouldn't be able to speak directly to the, to the, to the regulation. Okay. I just wondered because there is a difference, you know, 
uh, across the country with regards to For those sure. two markets. And, and I know TVA is a utility there, and I didn't know if they were going to be harder to work with than what you're dealing with in Illinois. I thought we'd make the comparison if we could. So yeah, no, okay. I think I think the, the overarching comparison is that every different regime, you know, or every different, you know, state dynamic or region dynamic is going to be different. And certain utilities are going to be more challenging and more difficult to deal with in the current environment. And, and, and back, Fred, to your point, I mean, hopefully that is something that also changes. Hopefully the utilities as an industry, you know, come to more embrace this, again, as part of the overall portfolio and learn to work together, mm -hmm. uh, you know, rather than pushing back in certain regions. And again, I think that's just going to be a benefit. Is it just easier to go ahead and merge or acquire somebody as opposed to trying to just invest and start a brand new renewable side of things or, or, or you know, start from scratch? Whereas, hey, if I know I've got company A over here that's doing what we know we need to get into and kind of from, from Lincoln's standpoint, if, if I'm bringing Heim in, into the deal, kind of what's what, what's y'all stance and just kind of from a generic standpoint? So I'll start with the, the last question that, that you asked. We are acting as an advisor in terms of helping these things happen. Okay. Right. So we are primarily, I would say, we are helping companies that are looking, um, you know, I call it on, on the selling aspect, right? Either to find an investor, a partner to, uh, you know, probably acquire, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the all or some of the equity of the company and move it forward. But it's looking in that case for the right partner, both from who you know am I going to work with going forward, and what are they going to add, you know, other than just capital, right? Because there there are additional benefits to, to when you look for a partner, or from a strategic standpoint, again, helping A and B connect and make you know something bigger, right, or, or and, and better. Um, so we're helping as an advisor. You know, you, you mentioned you know also on the buy side, it's you know where a company is is looking for you know, or trying to complete an acquisition uh, in the space. And we're helping assist making sure that that can happen in the right fashion uh, and, and get it done. So, so that's, you know, our place is to really help and be a trusted um, advisor throughout the space, utilizing our expertise, not only of the industry, but, you know, we do more transactions on a, on a global basis than anyone else in the middle market. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so for, you know, we have a level of transaction expertise of understanding what are the puts and takes of any given transaction. And we can deploy that, um, you know, for our clients. To, to your point, though, and we hear about, you know, more investment and what does that mean and why does it make or where does it make sense? If you're a company and you're saying to yourself, "Hey, I'm I'm growing well, right?" Yeah. or you know, or I'm or I see avenues for growth, there's always you're going to reach that point where there's always a make-buy type of decision, you know, it, where it's I see an opportunity and I can capture that opportunity, and there's probably a level of investment and time in terms of being able to fully develop that opportunity. But if I made the right acquisition in that same you know, geography and same capability, same space, you know, whatever that is, I can do it maybe not necessarily cheaper, but maybe faster is more important. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it is cheaper, right? Or maybe it's just more valuable because there are, are different synergies that happen. So as looking at acquisitions from a buyer perspective, there are a number of avenues in renewables where it makes a ton of sense. There might be certain geographies that are more challenging to get into from a ground up basis versus making an acquisition and you're there. 
the infrastructure is there. There could be a capability that one company has and another company doesn't. I mean, Sunrun Vivint is a perfect example of that where the two companies were you know, leaders in different areas of the market. And so combining them again, strategically- Made a lot of sense. sense. And, and, and that is, a, there's a lot of opportunity to do that. So whether it's from making a new investment, so from you know, a private investment standpoint, there's certainly an opportunity to do what we refer to as a buy and build. Um, right, so to acquire a platform and acquire other, uh, you know, operators in the space and create something of scale, there is certainly an opportunity to do that. There is certainly an opportunity to create a broader focused renewable energy platform in the space. You know, whether it's solar and storage and other home services, there there are a lot of different avenues um, for investment that are out there. I mean, even more broadly as you get to larger projects. And you know, even if you're not investing on the actual project side, which is one area of potential investment, but the different areas around projects, right? So there's, you know, there's engineering aspects, there's construction, there's operations and maintenance. There you know, are, are you know, different pieces of the balance of system. There's a lot of areas where there could be potential investment um, opportunities. And so it's great to have you know more people looking at making an investment in the space. Um, I think that again, it just benefits everyone overall. That's an excellent answer. Let me uh, get you. Uh, finally, I'll get you out of here with this. I promise. All right. So you've been doing this almost thirteen years. I'm curious, just from a personal standpoint. Okay, I'm sure when you were a little wet behind the ears at 27, 28 years old doing this and and, and dealing with some of these mergers and acquisitions, you know, learning your way. How much different are you uh, in this role? 12, 13 years later, and how much how much differently do you approach things than you did, and how much better are you? I mean, obviously, you're better at it now, because obviously, you would, wouldn't be there, and you're again, you're a managing director there, but how much different are you, and how much have you learned in, in your approach versus now, versus, you know, 10, 12 years ago? So, that's interesting. I, you know, I, I mean, I think it, we the one thing that we all um, hopefully do, especially over the course of 12, 13 years is, is, is grow and, and, you know, just grow in general, yeah. uh, both in our capabilities and, and our ways of, of looking at everything. And so I do, you know, hope, and I believe that, that I have grown, um, you know, not only in age, but uh, right. also in, in, you know, in, in knowledge and, and, and experience and, and what that means in terms of just being, a better advisor for my clients. I think, you know, I've come to understand you know, very, very acutely that every situation is different mm -hmm. and learning how to navigate and appreciate the difference okay. and really appreciate that every opportunity is going to have a different way of navigating, but utilizing all of the great building blocks and, and the best practices that we know and that we have honed in terms of better navigating those twists and turns. You know, if you're going to make it on the solar coaster, right, you got to know how to ride it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, certainly learn how to ride it a lot better. What are you most excited about in 2021? You, you know, every, every year brings new challenges and new opportunities, and I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I, I think that what we're seeing going into the new year in terms of potential new deal activity is substantial. I think they're, you know, already ramping up for a very busy 2021 um, and a lot of opportunity. And I'm looking, certainly looking forward to that. Uh, I, I just, I love all the new situations yeah. um, and, and, and the new opportunities. I mean, more opportunities for me to interact and, and, and work together 
of really achieving success for our clients. Uh, and I think 2021 could be a great year for that, you know, and hopefully with that combined with, you know, maybe the opportunity to actually get out of our homes, uh, yeah. that would be fantastic. So that. <laughs> Hey, I'll tell you what, and if your Tennessee Titans can somehow find a way to squeak past my Kansas City Chiefs, then you'll really be uh, doing big things in 2021. But let's not get carried away just yet. Yeah, that's uh, I'll 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 keep my optimism in check. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, well, Chaim, I'll tell you what, my man, it was absolutely a fantastic opportunity to sit down and talk with you. Uh, We've been wanting to do this for a couple of months, but I'm I'm, I'm glad to get your time. And uh, let's do this again at the, uh, you know, mid to mid to late part of 2021. Catch up with you again. See how things are going for you guys. And uh, like I said, I I see nothing but good things happening for you and Lincoln International in 2021. Because like you said, uh, with everybody with the investment pass and and, and things starting to open back up again next year, uh, I certainly expect a big year for you guys as well. Sounds great. I really appreciate the time. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Thanks for your time. Have a good day. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Mike. Thank you once again to Chaim Lubin for taking some time with us. And again, he has a phenomenal job with their mergers and acquisitions group out of the Chicago office. And Mike, as as we heard from uh, Chaim, just an absolute extensive knowledge of the energy and more importantly of the solar renewable side of things. And just all kinds of good information that we got from him. And just as far as, you know, what things have they been able to do in 2020, maybe we learned a little bit more than, you know, maybe COVID definitely has had an effect on folks, has definitely had an effect on the economy. But surprisingly, enough for for solar and solar installation from a residential standpoint hasn't been too bad has not been too bad Heimwoodsworth had a wealth of information to provide to not only you and i but to the listeners and it was enjoyable to get somebody on the phone that had a different perspective because we've always came with these podcasts for more of a commercial aspect so having somebody talk about the residential and what the homeowner goes through and the values involved in that i think that's a plus for everybody and i found it quite fascinating so hopefully Everybody out there does too. And not bad for a guy making his podcast debut. I can uh, I can tell you this, Mike. I have a feeling that uh, we'll certainly be hearing more from Heim 2021 because, like I said, the, with, with all the investment that's going to go on, I think you're going to see a very busy 2021 in the renewable sector, even more so than what we've seen in the last few years. So uh, very excited about Episode 15, and I'm sure you guys, hopefully you guys enjoyed it as well. Very excited about Episode 16. It's going to be coming up next week as well. Michael Ducker, Vice President of Renewable Fuels and the Western Region over at Mitsubishi Power, going to be joining us next week so we're very excited about that and then of course uh, we'll put a bow on 2020 uh, as Mike and I are going to sit down and kind of give you a uh, a state of how we finished in 2020 and uh, give you a little bit of a recap on the year as well as uh, what we did over at E-Renewable and kind of just give you a recap of, of, of the Green Insider podcast with 17 episodes in the first year which Mike you know all things considered for a brand new podcast hey I'll take 17 episodes in the first year. Well, considering we didn't start till summer, that's not too bad. That's I'm it. pleased with the results. I'm pleased with the results, pleased with the response above all, not no only question. from uh, the guest, but from the audience and what we hear from them. So thank you all out there. We couldn't do it without you. And Brad, thank you. Uh, you do a terrific job on every episode. I appreciate you all the effort you put into it. Well, it's a team effort, Mike, and I've certainly learned a lot from you uh, in the time that we've worked together, so I certainly appreciate your guidance and your tutelage as well because I know I can be a little bit of a hothead sometimes, so I certainly appreciate that. 
That being said, folks, uh, like I said, check out the website, erenew.net. Again, we know the holidays are here. We know it's the end of year, and we know, listen, with COVID has not slowed down one bit. So, again, we, we, we stress to everybody, okay, you know, mask up, social distance, stay home if you absolutely uh, can. And if you don't need to be out, certainly uh, adhere to, you know, what the, the local rules and regulations are so we can get this thing uh, under control and, and, and get to some semblance of normalcy. And, again, put 2020, which, Mike, has just been... <laughs> Uh, it's almost like a movie, uh, the way 2020 has played out, Mike. The, the way everything has gone on, just when you thought it couldn't stop, boom, it comes back again. I agree. So let's all uh, call it a day. And uh, in a couple more weeks, we'll be calling it a year. And we'll be glad to start 2021. We certainly will. Erenew.net. Make sure you go check out the uh, podcast, Apple iTunes, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And once again, if you do listen to us on Apple iTunes, please leave us a five-star rating because we promise you, you learn more about renewables than you did before you started the podcast. The Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable, we make going green easier. Thank you for listening. God bless. Thank you.